who in here has a new iPhone? Just show of hand. Who who say they have a newer iPhone? All right, what what model you got? Colin, what model you got? 15. Is that like the brand new one that came out four days ago? This looks like it was this looks like it was scripted, maybe, but Colin, this fits it perfectly. So Colin, you've got a 15, right? How many cameras are on the back of that thing? Two. Oh, mine's got three. Mine's got three cameras, and I got an older phone than you. How about that? Um, anyways, hey, new iPhone came out. Right, the new iPhone comes out, everyone's excited, everyone wants something new. I've got an old iPhone. This is like a 12 or 13. This one's older. Say that again. Hey, we're four, gen- this is four generations behind now. So yeah, that's Phil, that's Phil, well, we can have that conversation later. But hey, does this still, does this still work? Does this still technically serve its purpose? It gets the job done. If you were to text me or call me, nine out of ten times it's going to work. I'll be able to answer. I'll be able to respond to your text message, but it's not as cool as Colin's phone, because Colin's phone's got something new. And with the new phones, they have new features. I have no, Colin, do you know what your phone can do that Mike can't? Is there like something cool? No, nothing cool that you know yet? That's about the answer I expected. But I bet there is something cool that the iPhone 15 can do that my iPhone cannot do. Even if there's not, we can all agree that new is better, right? With something new, there's something better that comes along with that. Well, in a much more serious way, tonight, We're going to look at something old that got replaced by something new, and it is for the better. So as we get into Hebrews, I'm going to pray for us. God, I pray that you would help us see how in the new covenant that Jesus is better. Lord, how with something new, there's something better that comes with that. I thank you for these high schoolers. I thank you for the way that they love Jesus, the way they minister to others around them, the way that my middle schoolers look up to them, and the way that they serve our church. Lord, they are so important, and I ask that you would help them to realize that. We thank you for Jesus. We're grateful that you rose him from the grave. I pray that you would show us that we can cling to the promises that the new covenant brings, Lord. We love you and we thank you. It's your whole name that we all pray. Amen. Y'all go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to be pressing on in Hebrews. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles up here. Feel free to come and get one of those. Similar to the iPhone, I feel like in my house, Stuff is constantly just going in and out. Like if something new comes in, whether it's a, I get a new shirt or something new at all. My wife, Jessica, which if you don't know her, she's in the back. Make sure you say hello to her on your way out. She's throwing something else away. She's throwing something that's old, throwing it away. Like for example, I had a pair of shorts that I've been wearing since the seventh grade. And I thought they were the comfiest shorts. And she made me, I know, she made me throw them away on our move from Arkansas here to Oklahoma. And that story really doesn't mean anything, except for it kind of helped me introduce the title tonight. So if you're taking notes, the main point, it's more of a title, is this, out with the old, in with the new. So if you're taking notes, this is more of a title tonight, out with the old, in with the new. Tonight we're going to look at how Jesus is the promise of a new covenant, and that the promises he gives us through the new covenant can give us hope. Y'all turn into Hebrews 8, I'll, I'll wrap up a little bit, we finish chapter 7 in Hebrews last week. And that chapter is a little, anyone think that it's kind of hard to understand, maybe a little heavy? Yeah, I feel the same way. I was reading it, I was studying, I was like, what does this even mean? And so it was a a little dense. Hey, I'm just going to say, if you have struggles with it, you have questions, talk to me, talk to Dylan, talk to a leader in the back of the room. If we don't know the answer, we'll find it and we will get back to you, I promise that. But something that you can hold on to, if you're taking notes, you can jot this at the top. This is kind of the overarching theme of Hebrews, and it runs throughout a confusing Hebrews 7, some part of a confusing Hebrews 8. The overarching theme is that Jesus is better. 
That's written all over Hebrews. The words aren't explicitly said, but that theme can be taken out, that Jesus is better. So we're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 8. Now the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. We're going to have a lot of kind of setting up to do. Really our points are going to come from the back half of Hebrews 8 tonight. But we got to read the first part of Hebrews 8 to be able to get there. So in verse 1 it says, now the main point is this. We have this kind of high priest. But what kind of high priest do we have? If you look back in chapter 7, just a few verses up. Verse 26 tells us about the high priest that we need and that we now have. He's holy, he's innocent, he's undefiled, he's separated from sinners, and he is exalted above the heavens. So in chapter 8, verse 1, this is telling us this is the kind of high priest that we have. So we go from in chapter 7 needing a high priest like that to now having one in chapter 8. If we continue reading on in verse 2, it says, He's a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not by man. Now that one, I had a lot of questions. I was like, what does this even mean? It kind of plays into verse 5 a little bit. What does this mean that it was set up not by man but by the Lord? This is just kind of a glimpse of saying the sanctuaries or the temples that were built here on earth, the template of those was heaven. So God was giving these people who were building these things, he was giving them a template. When he was talking to them or giving them a vision. And that, that vision or that template was heaven. So he's pointing to something greater. In verse 3, this is a huge theme in this chapter. It says, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. We, we talked about the priests back in the Old Testament. What would they, does anyone know what they would sacrifice or what they would give? What, what would a, a priest, we've, we've gone over multiple weeks, what would they give or kill? Animals, yeah, they would sacrifice the blood of animals, right? And so now Jesus comes on the scene and they say, hey, you have to offer something as well. But instead of having to offer animals or offer the blood of others time after time, what Jesus did for us on the cross one time was enough. Verses 4 and 5. Now if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest since there are those offering the gifts prescribed by the law. These serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. And then it goes on to say how God told him to be careful that he makes everything according to the pattern that he's shown him. Because he was talking about the template of heaven. It was a reflection of heaven. Verse 6. This sets up really where we're going tonight. So we got through a little bit of, of some context. Some of it's a little muddy. But verse 6 really helps us get where we are going. Verse 6. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant which has been established on better promises. A better covenant which has been established on better promises. Tonight we're going to look at four of those better promises. So the new covenant, when Jesus came, he died on the cross, we entered into the new covenant. And that gives us a lot of hope. It gives us different things that we can, different goals or things we can strive after. But tonight we're really going to hone in on, on four promises that scripture gives us. Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, so that shows us that the old covenant, the first covenant, it had fault in it. It was not enough. There would have been no occasion for a second one. But finding fault with his people, he says, see the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So here he is telling us that a new covenant 
is coming, that the old covenant was simply not good enough, and that a new one was on the way. And, and for these people in this time, they would be confused. They have no idea what's going on. They have this thing, and God's taking it away from them. I feel like that resonates with us, right? A lot of times we pray or we ask for things, and we get a lot of no's. Or maybe God takes something away from us, and we're like, all right, God, I'm done with that. I asked for something super simple, and you're, you're saying no, or you're taking things away from me. you got to remember that he is always working for the good of his people, and we do not need to forget that. This new covenant will not fade, and we have the privilege of, of being on this side of the cross, of what Jesus did for us, and we get to enter in to that new covenant if we put our hope and our trust in him. In verse 9, it says, not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. I show no concern for them, says the Lord, because they did not continue in my covenant. God's people were faithless to this covenant. They were choosing not to follow. They rejected him when he was trying to love and protect them. They did not follow what he was saying. So instead of fixing the covenant, God could have easily done that. He could have fixed the covenant. He could have done something different with his people. But instead of doing that, he just introduced a new covenant. He would make a new one. And so this sets us up. This gets us to the new covenant. And from it, we'll see four promises or characteristics of this new covenant that give us hope. And it's something that we can cling to. Let's pick up in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 10 has two of our promises. The first one will be on the screen behind me. The first promise here is that he puts his laws in our hearts and minds. He puts his laws in our hearts and minds. Of the four promises that we're going to look at tonight, this is probably the one that even makes me feel this way. When I look at it, I go, what does this even mean? Like, what does this mean that he puts his laws in our hearts and minds? Well, under the old covenant, they knew the law, but it was not personal to them. So they knew it, they understood it, but there was nothing there to make them follow because it didn't mean anything to them. It was not personal at all. They had no desire to keep the law, and it was honestly viewed as a burden. What this is saying now is that God's commands are not a burden, but it said his people delight to do the will of God. They want to follow what he says. It doesn't feel like a burden, but instead it feels like a blessing to follow what God is commanding them to do. So we can ask ourselves this question, what does this have to do with me? Is, is what God has for you, his plan, his word, is that the compass in your own life? Or is it just something that you know is there but, mean, but means absolutely nothing to you? In my own life, and I'm sure a lot of you can attest to this as well, we like to inform God of what we're going to do. Right, hey God, whenever I go to college here at OU or whenever I go to college here at Oklahoma State or whatever, will, will you do this in my life? Will, will you let this happen? You're, you're informing God of what you're going to do. You don't ever allow him to speak into the situation. Or, hey, God, on the sports team, when I do this, or when, I, when I'm not there on Sunday because I'm going to play this or do that, or, hey, in this relationship that I really want to be in because I think I know what's best for me, God, will you bless me then? Or when I get to this scenario, God, will you make sure I don't fail then? We oftentimes like to inform God about our situations instead of letting him guide us to where he wants us to be. We have to take delight and what God has for us. I'm going to reread the second half of verse 10. It says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Second point or second promise that we can look at from the new covenant is that he makes us his people. God makes us his 
people. Despite the people of the old covenant not having faith, God rights the wrong. He very easily could have not done that. He could have just let it be. He could have let us suffer. But God takes it upon himself to right the wrong. He's going to make all things right. And it's a blessing for us. We're lucky that we get to live on this side of the new covenant. That what Jesus did for us on the cross, we get to have faith in that. We get to put our hope in that. We get to cling to that. This week I just come, kept coming back to this part of the text. I will be their God and they will be my people. That just kept coming back to me. I just kept reading that over myself. It was comforting to know every time I read it. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's so personal. It's so personal when you, when you look at it, when you read it, when you truly believe it, that he will be our God and we will be his people. He meets every need of those that are born again in Christ. This statement that I will be their God, they will be my people, is mentioned about eight other times throughout Scripture. About eight other times throughout Scripture. He is constant and he does not go anywhere. A challenge for us, myself included, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks, honestly, this week when I was studying. I know that, that he is always there and he will be there for his people. But I oftentimes had to ask myself, am I treating him like he is my God right now? Or am I just doing my own thing? Am I just living life the Cooper way, making decisions that, that Cooper wants to make? I had to ask myself, is he my God? Like I know that he has saved me through his son Jesus, but am I doing everything that I can to further his kingdom, to have those gospel conversations that I know the, the Holy Spirit is leading me to have, or do I kind of shy away at the moment? Am I doing everything that I can to further his kingdom and, and to be inside his will? It's a great question to ask yourself. It resonates very strongly with me. By show of hands, who, who in here likes to feel like they belong? Like you want to belong to something, you like to feel included? Okay, only like six of us. I'm going to ask that again. Who likes to feel like they belong to something, like they're a part of something? Yes, that's all of us. We all have that deep desire inside of us to belong. We're all searching for somewhere to fit in. And I don't know why that, that girl at school is mean. I don't know why they decide to make that decision. I don't know why that guy on the basketball team just wants to cut you down at every chance that he gets. But from a personal experience, I do know that we have a God who deeply loves us and there's a place for us in his kingdom. And this is a side note, honestly, just a quick tangent. Just to let you know, you all have a place here at Quell Springs Baptist Church. You all belong here at Quell and we have a spot for you. A lot of us, we feel like outcasts. We feel like we don't belong somewhere. We have that longing, that desire to be somewhere. I'm going to let you know that there's a spot for you here and you do belong here. We want you here. It doesn't matter what you did last weekend or if you feel like you aren't enough. We have a spot for you and we want you here. Let's, let's continue on in verse 11. And each person will not teach his fellow citizen and each his brother or sister saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. I'm going to read. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read out of Ezekiel. Chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, you can write that down if you want. This is going to help us really hone in this idea of our third point. The third point is that he reveals himself to us. And that comes from verse 11, that he reveals himself to us. In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you. And cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. 
That comes from Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. It helps us understand that he reveals himself to us. Those of us who are members of the new covenant, which what that means, if you're a member of the new covenant, that means you've put your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. And you trust that that is enough and you understand that Jesus has saved you. For those of us that are in that new covenant, we have the spirit of God living inside of us. Each and every one of us. This is what he means in this verse when it says from the least of them to the greatest of them. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been. God is there for you and the spirit of God is in each and every one of us that, that have been saved through his son, Jesus. Through the spirit we can understand and follow the will that God has for us. Through the spirit we can understand and follow the will that God has for us. This plays off the first promise we looked at. We will have that desire to chase after God. We won't just feel like it means nothing to us or that it feels like a burden. We will actually have a desire to chase after God. You can, you can trust God with whatever you have, and you should trust him with whatever you have. He knows you intimately, and he is working for your good. I'm sure some of you have had these experiences. I have as well. You, maybe you join an accountability group, or maybe you get really close with this friend, and you start sharing things with them, and then all of a sudden they stab you in the back. They use what you said or what you're being vulnerable with, and they use that against you, or they use that to harm you in some way. First, before I get to my point, first, don't be that friend. Don't be that person. If someone trusts you enough to tell you something about their life or something that they're struggling with, don't be that friend that's going to use that against them. Don't be that person. You don't want that done to you, don't be that to somebody else. Instead, you should encourage them. You should walk through that struggle, that hurt, that problem with them. Don't ever use that against somebody. All that to say, God can be trusted. He wants to hear what you have to bring him and he wants you to spend time with him. You can trust him with any problem, any burden that comes your way because he wants, he already knows about it, but he wants to hear about it from you. He already knows about it, but he wants to hear about it from you. Our last two verses tonight, verse 12 and 13, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and I will never again remember their sins. By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is obsolete and what is obsolete and growing old is about to pass away. Our last promise or characteristic of the new covenant that we can trust in comes directly from verse 12. It says, he will forgive our sins forever. So that's the last promise or characteristic of the new covenant that we see here is that he will forgive our sins forever. And this right here might be the biggest difference or maybe blessing is a better word that the new covenant has compared to the old is that he will forgive our sins forever. Instead of needing that mediator of a high priest to go and offer a sacrifice on ourselves, what Jesus did for us on the cross once and for all will forever be enough. And that forgiveness is offered in the new covenant and it is permanent. What he did is good for eternity and you can bank on that. Because a lot of times we, we do sin or we fall back into a struggle that we know we're going to fall back into. And instead of running to the Father or running to our accountability group to ask for forgiveness, we just wear that shame. And it pushes us further and further away from Christ. I'm asking you, please do not do that from personal experience because it's a hard spot to be in. Run to the Father. Run to your friends that push you towards Jesus because that's the best place that you can be. Just like my phone is a little bit older, right, not as new as Collins, the old covenant served its purpose. And it's not, a lot of times we say, old covenant, yeah, that thing is bad just because it's not as good as the new covenant. It served its purpose in this time, but it could not fulfill the ultimate need that we had, which is to be reconciled back 
to God. Only what Jesus did for us on the cross is able to fulfill that need. In our own lives, we try to make everything all pretty and buttoned up, don't we? We like to have that. I know, I, I, this was uh, convicting to me as well. We like to, like to be tidy. We like to look like we got it all going on. We know what's happening, right? I brought this little baseball bat with me solely for nothing else but just to hold while I tell this story. One time when I was about 12, I had this exact baseball bat in my room, was playing baseball in my room with my friend named Patrick, right? I swung this thing, probably missed the ball, but I definitely connected with the door. Turned around, big hole in the door with a blue ring around it from this bat. So that's how I knew, okay, yeah, that hole was definitely me because, you know, the bat's blue, door's white, blue paint all over the door. I knocked a hole in the door. So naturally, 11, 12-year-old, did we go tell our parents that we just messed up? No, what did we do? I found a poster just hanging around in my room, and I put it right over that wall, right, because I had a blemish in the door. I had something that was messed up. So what better than to mask it and put a poster over it so that no one knows it's there? No one knows it's there, right? We can just hide it. We can just act like we have it all put together. And we do this in our own lives. Instead of getting to the root of the problem, going to someone that can actually fix it, we just like to put that poster up in our own lives. When sin comes in our lives, when struggles come in our lives, we want to mask it in the best way possible. We want to put that poster over our deepest, darkest struggles. Because, hey, no one's as bad as I am. No one's ever gone through this. No one's fighting sin like I'm fighting. Right? That's how we feel. That's not the case. Don't just try to mask or put a poster over your sin. He forgives your sins. Go to him. Do not hide it. He wants to bear that burden with you. So as the band makes their way up, I'm just going to review our four characteristics of the new covenant. That he puts his laws in our hearts and minds. He makes us his people. That's super comforting. He reveals himself to us. And he will forgive our sins forever. So you may be asking to yourself, what, what do we do with all this? There's a quote that, that Max is going to put up from Charles Spurgeon right behind me. And before I read the quote, why, why is that such a thing? Like people from the old days, I see like quotes and they're just like always like staring off into space. Like do you think there's going to be like one day there's going to be like, a, I don't know, I don't think I'll say anything profound enough to have a picture of myself. But it would be up there and be like Qdoba is better than Chipotle or something like that. And it will have just a picture of my face. I don't know, maybe one day. Anyways, this, this quote, that is not me making fun of Charles Spurgeon either. He's a great dude. This quote from him says, covenant blessings are not meant to be looked at only but to be appropriated. And that last word, appropriated, is just a fancy word uh, to say acted on or used. So these promises that we see in the covenant, what are we supposed to do with them? We're not just supposed to, to see them in our Bible, to read them and let them stay there. We're supposed to live them out like they are truth in our lives because they are truth in our lives. We as followers of Christ, the Bible tells us in James 1.22 that we can't just be hearers of the word. We have to also be doers of the word. We can't just hear it. That's not enough. We also have to do it. We have to follow the ways of God and what he's telling us in his word. So some of you tonight as the band plays, you may need to group up with some of your friends and pray together. You may have something in your life that you're hiding, that you're just trying to put a poster over. Whatever it is, if you need to pray with an adult, every adult in here would love to talk to you. They'd love to pray with you. I'll be in the back. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to have any conversation that you need prayer about. Some of you, you may need to just worship. Praise the Lord for that. Do that. There may be some of you who are like, what on earth is any of this that you're talking about? You may need to place your hope in Jesus for the first time. Any of us would love to talk to you. We'd love to pray for you. Any leader in the back can tell you a mistake that they've made in their life, but they can tell you more about the grace that the Lord gives them.
that. So don't hesitate. If you've got a burden or something on your heart, come find one of us and come talk to us. I'm going to pray, and then Jonah's going to play. Dear Lord, we come to you today, God. Just thank you for this message. Lord, thank you for Hebrews 8. God, thank you for the promise. Um, as hard as it can be to understand sometimes, or we just may not get it, Lord, thank you for the promise of the new covenant. And we can just boil that down to say that you are better, that Jesus is better, that what he did on the cross is enough for each and every one of us. So God, I just pray that, that we would hold on to a characteristic, Lord, something that you're trying to reveal to us tonight, whether it's the comfort that we need to know that you are our God and we are your people, or whatever it is, Lord, that we would just take that truth, Lord, and we would live it out. I just pray that everyone would respond how they need to. Lord, if, if someone needs, is really struggling with something, needs to pray, God, provide that friend, provide that adult leader. But Lord, would you just work in this room? Will we stop trying to hide our sin, Lord, and play this game by ourselves? And will we actually run to you and live out your word, God? We love you. We thank you. It's in your whole name that we all pray. Amen.